0: This is almost a fairy-tale story. A young lad named Arthur is given a few tools for his journey, and he's taken to the edge of a dark, foreboding forest. And his elders say to him, enter and discover the world within. And what would a child imagine, immersed in the pounding rhythms of the Rite of Spring? Lions and tigers and bears, dragons and such drummers and dancers. We're not sure exactly what Arthur experienced, but we know he'll never forget his initiation into the infinite spaces he entered through Stravinsky's block-like construction of his ballet score, a story set in the dark mists of time. Antonio Caselli would have us note that Wagner has Gurnemanz Sing in Parsifal, You see, my son, here time turns into space. And the poet Baudelaire suggests it was precisely this convergence between time and space that made Wagner able to cross the boundaries between music and painting. No musician, he contends, excels as Wagner does in depicting space and depth, material and spiritual. Maybe young Arthur didn't understand what happened when he was seven and entered the dramatic spaces of the Rite of Spring, but he's been exploring the power of painting and music in our lives in a fundamental way ever since, to discover who we are, where we are, and how we can connect with each other and the world around us. Arthur Dworin has gone on to create forms that may remind us of who we are or even open up spaces inside us so that we can experience the wonder of life and living, as E.M. Forster wrote, only connect. Arthur will tell us that Edor Villalobos gave form in music to something deep within himself, and when a sensitive listener, like Arthur, is present fully to the music, he and Villalobos connect on some level, and the beauty of the piece brings Arthur to tears. Arthur Dwarren, an artist, moved from New York City to Hazleton where he lives and maintains a studio, and the Hazleton Art League is presenting an exhibition titled, Arthur Dwarren, Works from the 21st Century and Before, Dust, Dance, Light and Form, now through January 29th, with an artist's talk on the 22nd. Arthur Dwarren paid a visit to the WVIA studios to talk with us about his work, and first things first, music.
1: There was a wonderful quote recently, because it's been Joan Baez's birthday, and this is really true of all artists. You can always kid yourself and just say your work is important. Whether it is or not, it has to be to you. It has to be real to you. There's something sort of cosmic about that. If that's real to you, then in some way, it's out there as a little piece of reality in the face of all that is terrible stuff we're in. And if you stay true to yourself and true to your art, it's got to mean something. And in the post, they had a, a clip of her singing Vila Lobos' Bacallana's Brasiliana, which is... Whew brings tears to my eyes.
0: Before we get to the mature Arthur who has an experience of the universe in which we are and the questions of meaning that come up, what about little Arthur? Were you a young lad sketching in your notebooks at school? How did you get a sense of being a visual artist? Well,
1: well, you kind of remind me of my My mother asked my brother and I, uh, when I was about seven, if we'd like to go to Saturday classes at the local art school, which was the Detroit Society of Arts and Crafts. And I remember my first class. We walked in there, and they had one of those old Victrola's with a 33 record on it. And they were playing Stravinsky's Rite of Spring.
0: For seven-year-olds.
1: Yeah. And uh, the teacher was a woman named Peggy, and she that kind of looked like a Modigliani. And uh, they said, well, take a warm and a cool color and, and a uh, light and a dark and listen to this and interpret the music. <laughs> and over the years, they presented us with a lot of exercises that really helped me understand putting objects in space on the picture plane simple things and they had exercises that would develop my imagination. Like let's smear the whole page with some charcoal and make it all gray. And now take your chamois cloth and start throwing it on the page. Now use your kneaded eraser and start pulling out the lights and use your charcoal to get the darks and come up with whatever image you see. And, uh, they had a lot of exercises where they would set up a still life and they would, they would use these new tone pastels which are square, and they'd say take a light, a dark, a warm, and a cool, and just use the side of the pastel, and make the shapes, and have them take their place in space, which is Hans Hoffman push-pull, uh, which I kind of, when I was in high school, I, I did a portrait of a, a gal, and she went to the institute in Chicago, and she was studying with a woman that studied with Hans Hoffman, And I remember her saying to me, Arthur, that portrait you did of me, I showed it to the teacher, and she said, did he study with Hans Hoffman? I said, no. (laughs) And she said, well, it's got push-pull. So it's kind of interesting how that all came through to me. It just was part of my growing up, and I, I loved that. And my mother couldn't afford to pay for the classes, and I had gotten a partial scholarship. And so I would come in... Uh, every Saturday morning early. And my job was to knead the clay, for the kid's sculpture. And I, I love doing, making things out of, we would use terracotta with grog. It's very good because it has particles in it. And um, when you're doing pottery, you have to be very careful with uh, high fire clays because if, if they have an air bubble, the piece will explode. And so it made it easy if we could make things out of clay and never have to worry they were low fire and so I made all kinds of things. Of course when I was a kid dinosaurs were definitely a plus. So I I made dinosaurs. <laughs> and I had gone to a boys club and the teacher there was a guy named Nick Buhaus and Nick kind of became my mentor because he was teaching at the art school. And so I learned an awful lot and when I was 15 I started attending life drawing classes and uh, I remember working on just like making portrait busts in clay and consulting and really learning about why the way skulls are formed and the whole understructure which was so important and sort of getting a taste of how important it is to learn about the way our bodies are made and what is underneath all of structure that you're looking at and eventually what happens is that you begin to just have a sense of knowing that so if the pose is one or two minutes you get the basis of it because there's a kind of sense and understanding that that movement is related to the whole skeletal structure and the way when you when you know that you can use your intuition and when we were kids one of the Exercises that we did was a thing called contour line drawing. And the contour line drawing is really kind of, uh, I think of it as beholding the form. It's kind of like exploring the geography of what you're looking at through your eye and then translating it to the charcoal or the pencil or whatever. But there are exercises where you don't look at the paper and you just look and draw. And they're wonderful because that's what you kind of want. You want to not worry about, oh, am I getting this right? Because that kind of interferes with your spontaneity. And the spontaneity is what you see in master drawings. You see that understanding just comes right through.
0: Is that like approaching the paper or whatever medium? Almost... Like a dancer,
1: uh, well, I I know very much that it is kind of it does include a dance, and actually, I'm working on a piece now, and I I was listening to an interview of Ginger Rogers, uh, and I, I decided I would call this piece Swing Time, because in the fantasy dance and swing time, uh, there's a lot of this fabulous movement that's circular and and with opposing movements. And I I watched a lot of Fred Astaire when I've been growing up because uh, I studied tap dancing too. (laughs) So I I just love Fred Astaire. And uh, in in it she was talking about how I'm not as much of a perfectionist, but he was very much a perfectionist. And you can see in the results of when you watch that kind of thing. But that flow, uh, you see it when the wind is blowing a tree or, or even a piece of wheat in the wind, the kinds of curves and how nature dances and becomes a part of the whole picture in nature. And when you listen to like classical music, often there are references in the music to things just like that, the, the sound of, of the water flowing. But all that kind of is included in what you hope to instill in a piece and bring through. So what now I would say, like getting to nature, like Paul Clay. a wonderful quote from Paul Clay is, From the root, the sap rises up into the artist and flows through him. It flows to his eye, overwhelmed and activated by the force of the current. He can phase his vision into his work and yet standing at his appointed place as the trunk of the tree, he does nothing other than gather and pass on what rises from the depths. He neither serves nor commands, he transmits. His position is humble, and the beauty at the crown is not his own, it is merely passed through him." And, you know, that's pretty wonderful.
0: Tell us more about the sense of movement you also have a sense of the world around us not just nature but the cosmos that's a profound interest of yours yes
1: oh definitely (laughs) I I think that's probably why dust is in the title and for many years I studied a form of, of meditation which includes Agni yoga and Agni yoga is really focusing on color frequencies and how they work and the idea of that. Uh, I kind of think of it as when fruit is not ripe, it tastes bitter. But if you put it in the sun, it ripens. Then it can nurture you. And if you take that that you don't understand or that is troubling you and you bring it in to your inner sun and your light, you can begin to make that edible and sweet. And so then you begin to get the essence of it. So that's just kind of been part of my inner work. And uh, like Picasso, yes, that now a lot of work that I've been doing on myself has to do with getting to know little Arthur a little bit better because that child in all of us is always looking for somebody to have his or her back. And that is amazing how that can uh, sort of bring you home. I I think I posted recently, how does it go? When connection is spontaneous and laughter follows and tears roll down both cheeks, tears of joy, you know you're home.
0: (laughs) Does that happen when you're painting or after you paint? Not so
1: much when I'm painting, but I think that there are occasions when it's like, something wonderful happens and that's that moment where it's kind of like that Nike moment you know when you jump up and down and you got that like wow oh yes because the whole interaction of the artist with the work it's like opening up a conversation and as you work there are things which are difficult the conversation may stall it may not be it may not flow and then Something turns up, and the whole thing awakens, and a new idea comes forth and And the piece tells you what to do. So there's an interaction between the artist and the work. and hopefully that that richness can be the result that ends up in the visual work. Uh, a lot of the sculptural pieces start out with just small drawings and doodles and having worked. In theater production and my title was scenic artist painting sets I learned a lot about a theater craft and so in the pieces that are sculptural there's a lot of that theater craft and things look like the piece that we're looking at now that that's a large piece it's 7 by 10 feet and it's a, a triptych and it's very sculptural and it looks like cast iron people will say How did you get that on the wall? It's because it's done with theater craft. So the materials are the armature that builds up the form is like urethane foams. And then it's hardened with a a two part epoxy putty called magic sculpt. And then once I have all of the forms on there, the lower textures I do with acrylic gels and uh, sometimes I make my own texturing devices, like combs and things. Uh, Once I have all of that on there, and I have a lot of the colors in place, then I coat it with a high iron content patina, which is uh, acrylic-based, and it can be painted on. And when you put it on, it's kind of a very dark gray. Uh, Once you apply, I kind of have a spritzer, and I spritz it on, and it puddles in different ways. And when it, when it really is concentrated, the color is, it's, it's more rusted. So it, it has a lighter orange color. So the, the colors can vary depending on how much of the material that I put on. And so uh, I'm able to get a, a lot of variation. And it literally is the thickness of a coat of paint rusted. I remember after listening to that Villa Lobos piece, I couldn't help but think, boy, I hope the colors in my work sing like that.
0: We know there's such a thing as synesthesia where people hear colors, Or, but if we leaf through this catalog for the show, your colors are brilliant. Sometimes they're low-key, but generally this tremendous color sense. Go back to this sense that you have about colors singing, color frequencies, and touching us with color in that way.
1: Uh, Sometimes my color will be inspired by sessions that I've had where I'm meditating on a particular color, and I decide, why don't I explore that on the canvas and just put that color down and then see where it takes me. And so I do that. With some of the sculptural pieces, it's more getting into the form. And this idea of reaching in and, and having things which remind us of where we come from. And in a lot of pieces, I've included this ribbon shape. And the ribbon shape for me is a DNA symbol so that there is a kind of source. And in, in some pieces, there's one called ebb and flow, where when I was first learning how to use this material and doing it, I was kind of finding these shapes out of my imagination that were kind of like archaeological finds of something kind of primitive and old and out of the kind of beginnings of our uh, human culture not that they haven't been there for eons of time which i guess as far as the universe is concerned isn't much time (laughs) but uh, for us it is
0: i thought there was a partial curved piece with a point that was tusk like
1: oh oh that shape Mm -hmm. that's like a Uh tusk shape so it is And it it also, when I look at it, I hadn't thought of it as a horn, but it could be a horn. And in some rituals, they actually use a horn to make sounds. And it's part of a whole spiritual thing. That piece that we're looking at is called Ascent. As I was working at it, I thought, well, it feels like I'm either landing on a planet or taking off. And so I decided, well, let's feel like it's ascent, And I kind of wanted this sense of lift and excitement when the viewer saw it to kind of translate that. And I guess it has affected people that way.
0: You really do have a sense of creating dynamism on a not necessarily two-dimensional plane, but even with the three-dimension, there is because of the tensions and the curves and the lines.
1: Well, I, I love that whole thing. And you see that you can begin to relate that kind of thing throughout the arts, where you have that kind of thing happen in music, where you have sounds which are curt and push up against rounded sounds, and things which triangulate, and highs and lows, which would be light and dark. And of course in dance, and a lot of modern dance, I been around modern dancers and seen a lot of it and I've thought of it as kind of kinetic sculpture in the way the dancers move around the dance space and the way they relate to each other and in any of that and that kind of in those dances in swing time you know that that's more for me it is kind of a more popular Villa Lobos kind of melody.
0: Now the Bachianas the number Sad. five, yeah. Yes, number five. There's a lot of dark cello sound. Oh, that. I hadn't
1: noted that.
0: So you've got that darkness, but that richness of the voice against that.
1: That's really, I think, something that I look for in doing in doing paintings also is that the light and dark and how they play against each other and the excitement of the light and the and some of the pieces are getting to kind of popular experiences. I was kind of fascinated with Star Trek and all of that kind of thing growing up. And so when when the Enterprise goes into warp, forms this triangle, <laughs> and it it like that. And I, I liked a lot of Gene Roddenberry's writing because there was a lot a lot of depth in helping people to get down to understanding that sentient beings are to be loved and respected.
0: What about a sense of mystery? Is that something I
1: I hope that there is a kind of mystery in the pieces. And when I try to achieve depth and space and the relationship of something in the foreground and and allowing the eye to penetrate and go deep into the piece and uh, something moving sometimes it's just a dot and i think to quote paul clay a drawing is just a dot that wanted to take a walk (laughs) and i i don't get the playfulness of clay in all my pieces but i love that kind of thing and more and more i hope that i can include some of that in what i do there's a wonderful alluding back to what i said that picasso said about the whole childlike thing and that spirit that comes through it it, it's a liveliness
0: it's not childishness it's childlikeness yes
1: childlikeness really we all have this spark in us and uh, that's the wonder that the boy and the girl in us have and that curiosity for exploring and embracing what what the next thing we're discovering is and uh, then it it becomes play it becomes uh, a kind of ooh what's next
0: and so when we come to the gallery at the Hazleton Art League you're inviting us in a certain sense on an adventure to play yes
1: oh indeed indeed I am Uh, and I I'm hoping that uh, there is that in the work that can help that that's there and and being there and seeing it and taking it in can allow you i might say years ago i had read a quote by uh, i think peter krauss and peter krauss was pointing out how stars are like they're fusion reactors and they create new atoms and everything around us is made of this stuff. And the atoms, of course, are all around us and in us. And so I had written a little song, which is kind of like a little Mr. Rogers song. So I I guess I'll sing it. It goes, I love you and every little part of you to think where was the start of you and what that does part of you. A wise man who did know the very start of me did say, did say a thing or two, a thing or two so true. He said that every little atom in your body was once a part of a star. So if you're wondering who in the world you are, just remember that you are a star. (laughs) Thank
0: you for daring to do that. You were explaining earlier about when you included dust in the title of the exhibit. It Does it have to do with stardust?
1: It does. It does. And I, I kind of think about, well, they kind of got it right when they said dust to dust. That's just so simple and so much the way everything is for us and in, in this. And I think that it just fascinates me on a certain level how... All of this dust over, of course, for us, eons of time, but in the universe, not much, has managed to form into all the things that we call life and life around us, and it's, and it's, it's conscious. And for myself, part of the richness of life is kind of being sensitive to the sentience of things, and even trees. And nature and and it's just so fascinating to see this incredible design around us that is this wonderful kind of interdependence and symbiosis that goes on among beings and in ourselves too in our just here we are a a wonderful organization of all these little beings who are working together to bring this experience of living and breathing and experiencing life, and that's pretty cool.
0: (laughs) You mentioned Gene Roddenberry and his writing, and the sense is, therefore, what, we have a responsibility in the face of this remarkable place where we find ourselves?
1: I think so, and I think the key of that word is response and ability when you develop the ability to respond, life becomes a lot richer. And there's a kind of wanting wanting to find that place that the music takes you and the color and the form and uh, words don't describe usually because it goes well beyond that.
0: You don't paint while you're listening to music or do you?
1: I do as a matter of fact there's a piece in here quite often i like listening to milt jackson and john lewis and the modern jazz quartet this piece is actually called ode to the mjq and when you look at the piece you can kind of see the the contrast in shapes which are kind of like notes and and then the sweeping sound and and flow of the music and the juxtaposition Uh, of uh, the shapes kind of allude to a lot of the things that I would hear. Uh, I mean, I kind of, I think one of of the pieces that I love very much that they play is where they use Bach, and they, Milt Jackson brings it out with the vibraphone, and it's, oh, it's so cool.
0: (laughs) And it takes me right back to when you were little Arthur at seven, and you're in your art class, and they're playing the Rite of Spring, go inside the music, you've never stopped. No. (laughs) Artist Arthur Dworin, who lives and works in Hazleton, speaking with us in connection with the exhibition titled Arthur Dworin, Works from the 21st Century and Before, Dust, Dance, Light and Form now through January 29th at the Hazleton Art League and that's on Broad Street in Hazleton, 31 West Broad Street. There will be an artist's talk on January 22nd, that's Sunday, and it's from 1 to 3. This Sunday from 1 to 3 at the Hayden Family Center for the Arts, the Hazleton Art League's home, 31 West Broad Street. For more information, hazeltonartleague.org, hazeltonartleague.org, and to check on Arthur Dwarin and his life and work, arthurdwarin.com, arthurdwarin.com, d-w-o-r-i-n, arthurdwarin.com.